It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, Tom Cruise's favorite stunt double and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. That's right, another episode, and we are so glad that you're here, Coach, and we are also glad to be joined by our guest today, Daryl Stinson, uh, and I'm going to let him get into uh, his background and why you should be listening to him, Coach, and the, the message that I found really, really uh, applicable in a TED Talk that he did, and I know a lot of coaches love TED Talks, you get a lot from them, uh, this is one you should watch, and let me just play real quick uh, a little snippet of Daryl's TED Talk that has sort of got him some notoriety on this topic that we're going to be focusing on today. The second way that we can see rejection is by viewing it as protection. Protection from something or someone that isn't meant to be in our lives anymore. I learned this lesson after life rejected my dreams of playing in the NFL. I went to Central Michigan University on a full-ride scholarship to play Division I football. Sports was the way that I was going to become rich and famous so that I could buy my parents a house and get all of my family out of poverty. I had so many coaches and players who told me that because of my height, my speed, and my athleticism, that there was no doubt that I would one day play in the NFL. Unfortunately, I ruptured a disc in my back my freshman year, and this injury ended my college career. Life had rejected all that hard work I put in. Rather than view my sports injury as protection from a career path that wasn't the best for me, I took it personal. I felt like life hated me and spit in my face. I felt like the universe despised me and that my value was pretty much nothing without the sport that I loved or the recognition that I got from being an athlete. Rather than let sports go, I did something terrible in an attempt to keep my athlete dreams alive. I signed a liability waiver and rehabilitated my body to once again play Division I football. I put my body through two years of drug addiction, pain, and sleepless nights because I couldn't face life on life's terms. No matter how many painkillers I took or how many epidural shots I got in my back, I couldn't avoid the reality that my career was finished. Nothing I did to avoid that rejection was working. I was so afraid to face rejection because I felt like it meant that I had no value and no future. I figured that since life completely rejected me and all the hard work that I put in to become a professional athlete, that I didn't just fail, but rather that I was a failure. This belief that I was a failure drove me into one of the darkest depression of my life. I became suicidal because I thought it would be better to end my life than to deal with another painful moment of rejection. So with that, we're going to get back and introduce Daryl Stenson. Daryl, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So to just jump right into this, uh, after the coaches heard a little bit of what you were uh, talking about at your TED Talk, um, walk us through your background, uh, what you do now, but also what led to this, because you have that athletic and coaching background that uh, I think coaches will relate to. Yeah. So, uh, man, uh, lots of rejection led up to the talk about rejection. You know, um, I'm originally from a small town, uh, Jackson, Michigan. 
Uh, usually no one knows where that's at. I always tell people it's an hour and a half west of Detroit. And many coaches uh, know Tony Dungy. He's from my hometown. So I actually played in Dungy Stadium. So uh, and fun fact about that as well. Uh, his mother uh, used to babysit my mother. So uh, wow. it's kind of <laughs> small town in Jackson. And yeah. yeah, grew up was a top 100 athlete and um, both football and basketball. Uh, went to Central Michigan on a full ride scholarship to play both. And I know what to get into the story a little bit, but ultimately, um, you know, my career came to a drastic halt um, when I had emergency back surgery. Um, and then there's some backstory there. Um, but uh, ultimately, um, that should have been the end of my career. And because for me, sports was not just what I did, it was who I was, it was my identity, it was the way that I was going to get out of poverty. Um, it was the way that I was going to be able to uh, make a name for myself, to buy my mom a house, my dad a car, and do all those things that a lot of people from low-income communities want to do if they make it at the professional level. Um, I actually signed the liability waiver to be able to come back after uh, my sports career and play um, because me hurt was better than the next guy fully healthy. And so uh, coaches allowed me to come back, and I played and started uh, for – two years um, as a defensive one lineman after back surgery and uh, did so at a cost to my mental, emotional, social health. Um, mm -hmm. I was taking opioids initially to numb the pain. And then uh, when that wasn't working, I started to take stronger and stronger opioids. Um, and then I started to just uh, do all types of legal procedures, epidural injections, nerve killings, um, just anything I could do to numb the pain and continue to play the game of football. And ultimately, I uh, got into some selling drugs uh, to cover the cost of my healthcare expenses. And then um, literally just uh, developed a opioid addiction, which I didn't yeah. know it as that then. Um, but in retrospect, as I learned about addiction and the things, um, I really was using it not just to numb my pain, uh, physical pain, but to numb my emotional pain from knowing that my career was coming to an inevitable end. Um, I was getting ready to face one of the biggest rejections of my life. And um, the thought of that, I didn't want to deal with that because I didn't know who I was outside of sports. Um, I knew I would be successful at other stuff because of those skills that I learned as an athlete, but I didn't think I would be fulfilled mm. by anything. And, you know, we, when we talk about rejection, that's something that people struggle with. When you know a uh, coaching career is coming to an end, when you know that a relationship is coming to an end, because we don't want to handle those emotions, we numb them with drugs and alcohol. We numb them with busyness, activity, um, Netflix. <laughs> Everyone has kind of their choice. Some people use food. And yeah. for me, it was it was drugs and alcohol. And so long story short, uh, it got so bad. My addiction got so bad to the point where my blood was thinning. So every time I made contact on the field, my nose would bleed. And the coaches uh, saw that it wasn't allergies and they uh, did not allow me to finish out my senior season, actually kicked me off the team. And so uh, that I was frustrated. I felt like there was more they could have did from a medical standpoint. Um, there wasn't, uh, but I felt like there was at the time. And I stormed out uh, and, and got angry and got depressed. Um, I didn't think that anyone liked me outside of my ability to play sports. Um, I had a lot of rejection growing up as uh, people who have watched the full length of the talk. You can hear a little bit of that um, growing up in a community where 
uh, I was in accelerated learning classes and was labeled a black kid that quote unquote talks and acts white. And so I already had this insecurity complex that, man, people don't like me for who I really am. And they only like me because of my gift of athleticism. And uh, that insecurity got validated when um, my girlfriend of four and a half years left me and got engaged to another man when I was no longer going to the NFL. And so uh, my girlfriend left, football was gone. And for me, uh, I didn't think there was a reason for me to continue to live. And so the way that I processed the rejection was that I imploded. Uh, I just bottled all those emotions up, developed self-hatred, developed a lot of anger at other people, didn't communicate any of it because I, you know, real men aren't supposed to cry and athletes aren't supposed to show weakness and all that stuff. And so I just suppressed all of that emotion and um, it sent me down a, a really dark depression, uh, ended up going from 275 pounds to 219 pounds in four weeks. And wow. um, ultimately, uh, after multiple suicide attempts, I ended up in a psychiatric care facility in, in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, so let me pause there and see if you wanted to chime in and say anything about any of that. Yeah, well, I mean, the the two things of that incredible story that, that you lived through, fortunately, mm -hmm. is, you know, relating this back to coaches and why we have you on this talk. Yeah. Um, I think coaches, at some level, have two areas where they're going to identify with this in, in terms of uh, a struggle or depression or just experiencing that rejection over and over. Of course, in recruiting, as a college coach, you get rejected way more than you get the yeses for kids that want to come and be a part of your program. And I know that's tough for coaches in the way that they deal with it, is just not want to participate in the recruiting aspect. They think, you know, I've just, you know, you sort of get tunnel vision where they don't like me. They don't like our program. There's something wrong with our school. Well, if I only had a bigger budget or a new locker room, that would fix it. And you start to make excuses. So there's the recruiting side of it, but also on, on maybe a more serious side, um, while coaching at the college level, you don't have the suicide thought, uh, attempts or you, that's not really a, a, um, a thing that, that plays out, but you do have depression. You do have coaches who are struggling just with how do I build a program? They find out that coaching is a lot more than just going out to practice and, and having the fun of the X's and O's. It's administration. It's counseling mm -hmm. the kids. It's recruiting. Mm -hmm. It's uh, turning in your budget and the expense receipts from the recruiting trip and all the stuff that's not fun. And there is this sort of reckoning that happens with, mm -hmm. why do I really want to be here? And the bigger sort of issue in college athletics, and I would say especially on the women's side, is about the time they're getting good at their job and figuring out how to do it, they burn out, they get depressed, mm -hmm. and they leave. Mm -hmm. And so those are the two big things that as you were telling your story, I relate back to coaches. And mm -hmm. fortunately for them, it's not as serious of a life-threatening situation that you were facing. But mm -hmm. I think they're able to relate to the fact that there's a struggle out there. And I'm really curious then on the back half of your story, how did you come out of that? How, how did you overcome that? And I want to sort of dig deeper and, and apply it to coaches that just, if they're listening to this, they might be struggling with something. Either I don't know how to do something or I'm about to get fired. I need to win this year or else I'm going to get fired. Do I really want to do this as a career? And that's what I see a lot of coaches and hear a lot of coaches um, carrying around with them. So how, 
walk us through then how did you come out of that that first part of your story um, that uh, that really left you at a, at a huge low point? Yeah. And so um, one of the things I mentioned in that kind of intro story there was um, that I was taught that like real men don't cry, that, you know, tough athletes don't communicate their emotions. And I suppressed it. And one of the things that's true about all people is that whatever you don't express, you do suppress. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so a lot of times coaches, they're carrying this leg and any leader that is carrying uh, loads, responsibility, pressure. They don't talk about it. They don't vent about it. They just kind of like keep it in and they just put their nose to the ground and they just keep on going. I would say, especially as athletes, we're all all taught that, you know, focus, get over it, put that aside, go to the next play, forget that play, go to the next play. Yep. Athletes, type A people, you know, go getters, high achievers, like all, all kind of cut from the same cloth of like, Hey, you know, the, the emotions are the emotions and they are what they are and talking about them. Isn't going to change the circumstances. So I just might as well, you know, work hard and, and, and imply grit and resiliency to overcome the circumstance. The problem is that if you study any mental health, uh, that, that gets suppressed in your body. Okay. Uh, somatically. And you start to live. And if you ever want to see it come out, watch the aggression on the field that comes out. And it's overreaction to a small play that someone missed or watch the arguments that happen in the home. It's an overreaction to something that's minute. Why? Because I'm dealing with all this suppressed emotion. Okay. So one of the things I recommend in terms of overcoming just any depression uh, that you may have from carrying great responsibility is develop a practice of expression. Okay. You can do that through journaling. You can do that through uh, seeing a counselor. You can see that through talking to a close friend. These are things that people know to do, but they don't do them. (laughs) Okay. And we know that knowing a thing isn't the same thing as doing a thing. I could have a PhD in bicycling, but if I never rode a bike with a PhD in bicycling, The moment I get on that bike, I'm going to bust my head. And a lot of people know what they're supposed to do from a mental health and a self-care perspective, but they're not doing it. Well, and and mental health in the college athletic world now is such a focus with the mental health of athletes. But I think, you know, again, the mental health of coaches sort of gets, look, this is your job. We're paying you to do this. Um, You know, go and do it. And that's sort of the message. And there isn't that pause a lot of the time for coaches to get that get that help. So again, like going back to your story, how did you come out of it? Like, what was your process of getting out of uh, out of that that hole? Yeah, so I'm in the psychiatric unit. Um, at the time, I was agnostic. I ended up developing a, a faith belief, which was important for me to believe in something greater than myself. Um, And that gave me hope that, man, maybe there's something beyond this pain. Maybe I'm still here on this planet for a reason. Uh, I also, um, while I was there, I saw my first psychiatrist, uh, saw my first counselor, did my first uh, journal entry, uh, did my first mindfulness and breathing exercise, um, and started to learn that I could build my life from the inside out and not the outside in. We'll be back to the show in a minute. But first, have you heard about Busy Coach? It's the organizational resource college coaches rely on from Mandy Green, our trusted voice when it comes to running your program, creating more time in your day, and becoming a better leader. 
After the podcast is over, head over to busy.coach and find out about all the tools she's giving coaches around the country. And now, back to the show. Okay. And that began a journey for me of doing that. Okay. So uh, one of the things I began to do is I developed the practice of journaling. Okay. One of the things I tell people is that unprocessed pain is often ill processed pain. And I found that to be true about my life, that there was experiences that happened in my past. I mentioned one of them Mm -hmm. being called the black kid that quote unquote talks in X white. And I had never processed that Um, growing up in a split family. um, Mom and dad weren't together. I had joint custody. I never processed that. Dad being gone the first five years of my life, he was a good college athlete. He went to Central Michigan as well. So the first five years of my life, he was still in college pursuing the NFL. And my mom was uh, somewhat in uh, high school. She had me when she she was a junior in high school, maybe a senior. I forget which one. And then uh, she had about two years of college and then she went back home. But that whole time, my dad was, you know, kind of physically present, but very much emotionally absent. And so I never processed that. Okay. well, post that uh, psychiatric experience, I started to journal. I started to see a counselor. I started to process these experiences in my life to begin to assign different meanings to the stories that I had. Okay, Uh, so I wasn't the kid who no one liked um, and didn't fit in because I was, quote unquote, like too black to fit in with the white crowd or too white to fit in the black. I wasn't that kid. I actually was gifted. I was talented. So I started to assign new meaning to those stories. Right. Okay. And that really started to help me. And I always tell people in terms of journaling, um, a lot of people think like, I don't want to write a diary entry. You know, like <laughs> I say, start with jotting, right? Uh, there's a journal called uh, One Line Journal. Um, I recommend it to some people. Mm-hmm. It gets them started. You just write one line a day and it starts a habit of processing the things that are coming up for you so that you don't make the wrong conclusions about them. Right. Okay, so let's take this to the micro because you've, mm-hmm. you've laid out some good principles and we'll we'll hear more over the next couple of minutes. But when a coach, and I'm going to focus this on recruiting, uh, when a coach recruits, they'll go after 50 kids. I mean, depending on their sport, 50 kids, 10 kids, 150 kids, have them on campus, talk to their parents, develop the relationship, get right up to the to the point of a commitment. And then sometimes it's they just stop talking to the coach. Uh, they lie to the coach and a week later find out they committed to a competitor. And the, the mental wear and tear on coaches, not only just the sheer the number of hours of contact and also driving to watch them. I mean, you remember, you know, as coaches were recruiting you, they made efforts to to come and see you and you, you <laughs> disappointed some coaches with your final decision. So, so how using that same system that you learn to use yeah but now applying it to a micro level where every single week you might have two or three or six disappointments related specifically to recruiting but also other stuff your budget gets rejected mm-hmm. um you don't you know, your assistant coach leaves you know right before the season starts all the things that a coach has to deal with how do you process that on a micro level where this happened but in half an hour i've got the start of practice and i got to be good up here how, how, what would your suggestion be for coaches that are that, that experience that several times a week, sometimes write you know multiples in a row? Yeah. So you mentioned something like if practice is about to start, like one of the things that I was taught as an athlete is like you got to flip the switch, right? Mm-hmm. So you gotta you gotta lead the game, you gotta run the practice, you gotta run the film session. 
the, the challenge is when you do that and you come home and you right. say, I'm too busy to process. Right. Okay. Well, you've, That's you've, the, you've done what you've said is you've sort of mashed it down. And you haven't, you haven't done. processed. You haven't processed it yet. And last time I was like, oh, okay, well now I just got to go, got to go find the recruit or got to go fix the issue or whatever. When the opportunity is that night after practice is over is to make sure you develop that habit of processing. So journaling is one way that I mentioned doing that. Right. And I talked about unprocessed pain is ill-processed pain. All right. And so let's say you you had three recruits that canceled. You had uh, a staff member who you were really depending on that left and joined another opportunity. And you've got all of that chip on your shoulder. You don't know what you're going to do. That's the perfect thing to journal about and process. And what you want to do is you want to just write down, number one, factually what happened. Okay. This guy left. He went to this place. Then you want to talk about how you, here's the hard one. Yeah. Okay. What did you feel? about what happened mm. okay here's where the growth opportunity comes in because people type a people high achievers coaches athletes have a hard time talking about their feelings okay a lot of times we didn't grow up in households where people cared about our feelings but not guys guys talk about their feelings all the time right not They're, at all yeah. not at all dude <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you should have. I always tell this um, to communicate this to people because sometimes people are like, "Well, what do I do?" And the reason why they feel confused is because they've been so out of touch with their emotions that they don't even know how to feel anymore. Hmm. And so I tell them this story that my first year—not first year, my first couple of years in marriage was really tough because the only emotion I really knew how to communicate was anger. Yeah. Right? Like any argument me and my wife got in, it was ah. And, and that was how I reacted. Like, don't talk to me like that. Why are you asking me for that? This is so demanding. It was like always anger. And then through counseling, through learning how to express, through actually processing my experiences, I started to see something that there were other emotions that I was feeling besides anger. Anger was the surface level emotion. Okay. But as I started to process, this happened. Okay. Lost these recruits. Right. Person lost my staff. This is how I felt about what happened. And I challenged myself to be detailed as possible. Okay. I started to learn something. I started, hey, I'm not just angry at my wife for doing this. What something she did actually hurt my feelings. Mm. You want to know something funny? Yeah. The, if I could record the first conversation I had where I told my wife that she hurt my feelings, you would have just laughed like all, all at me. Cause I was just like, I was like, hey, sweetie, you know, actually, you know, the other day when you said that to me, that kind of, uh, uh, <laughs> it kind of hurt, hurt my feelings. You know? feeling. <laughs> Felt like my man card just got through out the window. Yeah. This tough athlete she married is all like weak, but that is healthy for us emotionally. And so that's what I'm talking about. And that's one of the things where it's really hard to contextualize that outside of actually doing it right right now it just sounds good sounds cool but when you do it that's when you find freedom right that's when you find greater understanding of yourself imagine if you knew yourself on a deep emotional level and not just on an achievement level right man right. and you assign some value to to those feelings and not just you know the achievements or the the accolades and everything it actually matters that your yeah. feelings got hurt it actually mattered that you felt betrayed it actually mattered that you felt uh, under-resourced. It actually mattered that you felt like a person didn't care enough to communicate to you and let you know. It actually does matter. Yeah. So we talked about that on the micro level, you know, the recruiting losses or you lose an assistant, all the things that could happen day to day. 
macro level, the coach that's been in the game now for five, six years, maybe even 10 years. And I cannot tell you, Daryl, the number of times we sit with staffs and some of them, you would know the names of the coaches and the door closes. And I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor, but mm-hmm. um, sometimes there's the feeling that they know us and we're an outside third party and you just, they can just talk. And they talk about the grind and, you know, we've all, that's a popular term in athletics is, you know, the grind. And we, mm-hmm. we, we kind of uh, glorify it, you know, you know, the grind and, you know, it's, mm-hmm. a, you know, it's, it's a, it's again, that badge of, you know, you're working hard, you're, and, you know, it's an honor almost. Well, over time that starts to wear on you and you get coaches then that develop alcohol problems or they mm-hmm. don't have good relationships at home or, all the things that can you know, develop off of what you just said, how do you approach or what was your recommendation for coaches um, who are in the middle of a career and they're starting to feel like, man, this isn't as fun as I thought it was going to be. It's a struggle. I feel worn down. Um, what, what, what is your message to them or what, what would you say they need to kind of be introspective about and you know, how, how do they approach that? Uh, I would say you have to identify the rest that you seek. Okay. Um, a lot of times you'd mentioned that the, the action step after that is like, I'm just going to quit. I'm I'm done with it. I'm burnt out. Um, and by the way, I ran into that situation in my career post athletics of burnout. Um, and I was getting ready to shut down my entire speaking business, my entire coaching business, because I was on the road traveling. I was coaching clients. I was running events. And I, I did burn out. Um, but one of the things I learned is that what I was looking for wasn't necessarily physical rest. It was soul rest. Mm. Okay. Emotional rest, uh, mental rest. Okay. And so you may not need to take an exit from the career. You may be able to take a weekend away and say, man, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to journal this entire weekend. I'm going to make sure I, uh, there's intensive counseling experiences that I highly recommend. Uh, they, they will do, um, I know some experience that do 168 hours of, uh, counseling within a week's period. And it's like a four or five day experience, right? It's intent and it's very beneficial because when you go to counselors, typically you do like one session a week or one biweekly or some people one a month. And then you, you know, you tell them your whole life story, the first session, that's all you really get through (laughs) the next session. You get to cover the surface level of one issue. You never really get to the root of the, what's causing the emotional stress, the anxiety, the anger, whatever it is. Whereas in an intensive, you get to go layers deep in a single session. You get to do like a four hour session instead of a one hour session. So you're not constantly open and closing, opening and closing. You're actually opening and deepening and deepening and deepening. So those are types of things that I recommend is identify what type of rest you really need. Is it a true physical rest or is it a mental and emotional soul rest? And then seek to get the rest that you need. Okay. That would be so, my, so how do you do that? Life. Like if, if I'm starting to feel as a coach, that little bit of burnout, tough season over two thirds of the way through, it's not going like I want, you know, I got pressures at home because my wife's getting tired of the season or what, all the stuff. What is your recommendation for, that you know, it's not the end of the the season. I can't take four or five days straight, but I need that little mental rest. How how quick can that be? What do you do as a coach to kind of just pause for enough time to at least regenerate enough to you know to get through the last third of the season? Yeah. Um, so after you identify what type of rest you need, and if you're in the middle of a season like that, uh, think of it like uh, an athlete being in the middle of 
like a really hard, tough workout? And how many times do they just want to quit? Right. But it helps to just go over, grab that water bottle, get that squeeze of water. And, and you feel like you get a, a quick breather and you can get out there and run again. You call a timeout, you get 30 seconds, you get 60 seconds, bam, you're back out there again. And so you want to see what are the emotional, the mental timeouts that you can call in your schedule in your day. One of the things that's very practical that a coach could do is take their shoes off, take their socks off, go put your feet on the earth. Okay. Mm-hmm. You take four deep breaths, seven seconds in your nose, seven seconds slowly out your mouth. Research shows that that will reset your nervous system. Okay. And you will start to feel more peace, more calm, more mental clarity, more emotional rest just from doing that. And that's something you can do very quickly. Do not underestimate the power of a timeout. Right. Do not underestimate the power of a water break. It will give you a breather because if you don't, you're just like holding your breath through the workout, you're grinding and you're going to burn out. And before the end of the day, you have no energy left. But imagine if you did that quick five minute reset. Now you got a breath of fresh air. You had time to think. Okay. The other thing you can utilize a walk another way, uh, exercise and movement. I know some coaches exercise, yeah. exercising for the sense of mental clarity. Okay. I always tell people it is hard to be depressed and out of breath at the same time. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Imagine yeah. whining about your problems and you're like, Oh my God, I'm so mad. I'm so angry. By the time you keep running, you're going to be out of yeah. breath and you're not even going to be thinking about that anymore. And, and you just brought up something that I hadn't even thought about, but I'm going to jump in and ask yeah. you about it. Uh, Go for it. Even though we're only got a couple of minutes, I think it's important that yeah. in an athletic department, you're, mm-hmm. you're that coach who's trying to get healthy uh, mentally, take that break. And yet you are around a lot of people who are negative, they're pessimists, they've given up and they want, you know, misery loves company. And we have that in the real world too, not just in a locker room or in a coach's office or athletic department. How do I deal with those people who are in my ear and just not, they're not going to get me to where I need to be. Uh, they're certainly not going to be a help. How do I at least get them not to be a hindrance? Yeah. Lie and tell them you're busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling I worked in higher education. I yeah. did it all the time. I scheduled meetings with myself so that I can be in my office without people having um, to access. Nice. Me. I love um, that. Yeah. It's a great idea. Like, Oh, I have a meeting. Dang. Got to run in a meeting. It's a meeting with myself. You know, yeah. it's, it's so important. That time for you is important. Organize, strategize, categorize, do those things. The other thing is um, develop, Vision and uh, what I call is uh, quick responses to frequently asked questions. Okay. A lot of times, athletic directors, coaches uh, get kind of the same complaints over and over again, you know, complaining about plan time, complaining about money, complaining about uh, mm-hmm. the way that funds are distributed, complaining about this player that didn't get whatever. Like it's right. usually the same five to seven requests. And if you have a standard response, um, to that, what it helps your brain to do is not have to come up with something new each time not have to listen to each person's story. The moment you hear that similar thing, oh man, I'm complaining about that. You guys spent this X amount of money on facilities. Why did you do that? When we need a new muscle milk or something like that, you say, Hey, um, I know, um, that, that this is a concern for you and you have a different idea. Um, feel free to email me. I love to take a look at that, but this is why I did it. And here's why. And I understand if you don't agree with that. Right. Right. I love Yeah. I, I love the idea because, you know, even it takes the tension out of hearing it or 
uh oh, here it comes again. And now I got to now the stress builds because I just got to now deal with this fight that this other coach or even somebody that's not my from my sport, just the negative guy that walks into the office because they're out there. Yeah, they're out there a lot. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, there's so much that I wish I could get into in this talk that we're having right now on the on the athlete side, and we'll save mm -hmm. that for another conversation because athletes. Yeah. There's never been more a focus on attention on the mental health of athletes. And now coaches are starting to even look at, you know, the kids they're recruiting and how do I assess the mental yeah. strength and where they're at and not so yeah. much do I want to recruit them or not, but how do I support them? Yep. Um, and so there's, there's just a, a lot more, uh, Daryl, for coaches who heard this and they're connecting with it, uh, the top three ways that they can either get to know you or look at your resources, um, maybe bring you to campus, talk to their team, talk to their athletic department. What what are the ways that they can get in touch with you? Yeah, you can go to my website, darylstinson.com, D-A-R-R-Y-L-L, Stinson, S-T-I-N-S-O-N.com. Um, and you can just poke around, look there, fill out the contact form. The other thing is I did write a book about athlete transition. Uh, that's a great gift for seniors. It's a great gift for all players. Uh, Best-selling book, uh, Who Am I After Sports is the name of the book. It's a good introductory to the conversation. Um, also, if you're just interested in like resources that we may have to support some of your teams from just a giving foundation, uh, we do have a nonprofit organization called SecondChanceAthletes.com. And so feel free to just look into that if there's yeah. anything to do. It's designed to give former and forgotten athletes a second chance to succeed in life without the demands of sports. Nice. And so uh, if that resonates with you, then feel free to uh, go to secondchanceathletes.com and get a hold of us. And we'll put all those links in the show notes if you're a coach that's listening to the podcast. Um, you can also, um, I, you, and we'll put a link to this in the in the show notes as well, the TED Talk. You just yeah. type in Daryl Stinson TED Talk and it's probably going to come up and it's really good stuff and it kind of encapsulates some of the stuff that we talked about. But Absolutely. I want to talk to you again, Daryl. Yeah. I encourage coaches to interact because look, you know, if you're a coach that's listening to this, you know you've either had times where it gets hard and you've thought about quitting, or maybe you've thought about going even some in, down some darker roads to deal with this. Don't do that. And I've met those coaches and I've seen sort of the bad results sometimes of of coaches are struggling. And so I just, I thought this is important, even though this is a recruiting podcast, recruiting is a bunch of negativity and rejection, disappointment, I think that that starts to build up. So um, yeah. that's why we wanted to devote time to it on this show. So coach, thanks for listening. Um, we will talk to Daryl again. And uh, just, hey, stay strong, but do these things that are going to keep you mentally healthy in the same way that, you know, like Daryl was just talking about, your, your athletes take a time out during a game, to regroup mentally, physically, you do the same. Uh, it's going to help you stay in this game uh, a lot longer. So thanks for listening to the podcast, Coach, and we'll talk to you again next time. College Recruiting Weekly is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2022 through 2023. To contact the host, email him at dan at dantutor.com. And do us a solid, Coach. Rate and review our podcast right now. Plus, it wouldn't kill you to tell your fellow coaches about it, would it? So do that, too. And stay tuned for the next amazing episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Oh, oh.